This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. God in prayer before we start. Heavenly Father, as we come to our time in your word, I begin by glorifying and praising and thanking you for the gift that you've given us in your scripture that that you would even love us enough to tell us about yourself in ways that we can understand. That you would give us your son on the cross in our place for the forgiveness of our sins just adds more to the incomprehensible mercy and grace that you've shown us. Father, I pray now that you would open the eyes of our heart to comprehend again the power that we have in you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that you would show us that The calling you have placed on our lives, you have also given us the ability to do through Him. Father, because everything we have and everything we need is ours in Jesus, I I pray in His name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. I want to thank you guys for bearing with me while I sit here, literally. I appreciate that. It's harder for you, Shannon says. I'm not sure about that. But before I start, I feel the need to say, just so y'all know, you might not think about this before, but before I say what I have to say, I, I want you to understand that I have been wrestling with this the whole week. So I'm coming at you already having been smacked around by the Holy Spirit and then provided hope. And so I want you all to be smacked around by the Holy Spirit and then be provided hope. We're back in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. If you want to start heading there in your Bibles. Up to this point, Peter has been primarily concerned with redirecting these early Christians back to the hope they have in their salvation. We saw a few weeks ago at the beginning of verse 3, Peter called it the living hope that we have been born again to in Christ. And Peter is doing this because he wants to remind us how powerful and durable and remarkable this hope is. He would go on to tell us in verses 3 through 5 that this this hope is being kept in heaven for us, out of the reach of anyone who might try to spoil it. And and then he told us in verses 6 through 9 that this hope is so durable 
that it not only can withstand the trials we experience on this earth, but because of our hope, those trials only serve to display the faith that He's given us. And last week, He showed us in verses 10 through 12 that our hope is so glorious that that even the great prophets of old and angels long and yearn to understand what you and I experience on a daily basis. So where is your hope this morning? As Steve said earlier, do you have any feet in the sand or any feet on the rock? Now, I know you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning, and you know the answer to that question. Yes, Pastor Grant, my hope is in Jesus Christ. We know that. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's easy to say and very much a different thing to do, isn't it? So how can we know where our hope is? How can we know if our hope is fully set on Christ? Let me ask you a few questions that might help to flesh that out a little bit. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, If you could somehow know that the person you believe should be elected, let's say president in 2024 or governor in 2022, if you knew that the person you felt needed to be elected was going to be elected, or if you knew that the Supreme Court would decide one way or another on a certain issue coming up, if you knew that was going to happen, Would that give you hope? Would that give you the the, the little bit of juice to muster through some of the difficulty you might be experiencing now? What if you somehow knew for sure that you were going to get a certain job or a promotion? Would that give you hope to push through maybe the difficulty that you might be experiencing now, that it would be over? If you knew that your kids were going to turn out the way that you hoped and prayed they would, would that give you the hope to muster through the teenage years? Because you see, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you need to hear what Peter is saying this morning. Because look at what he says in verse 13. He says, therefore, meaning because of this hope, this salvation that I just described to you, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope partially on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. No. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you at the coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, the hope of this salvation he just reminded us about, the hope of being born again in Christ, it causes a change. It has an effect. It does something to you and I. It's a a strength that provokes and stimulates a response. Peter says there's an action that we are to prepare for. 
to prepare our hearts for. And he says that that action is only possible through setting our hope fully on Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to convince you of this. I want to convince you that we must set our hope fully on Christ to live a godly life. I think that's what Peter is telling us, that we must set our hope fully on Christ to live a godly life. Look again at verse 13. Before telling us to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Peter tells us to prepare our minds for action. Literally, he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. You see, when these early Christians first believed, they welcomed the hope of Christ into their lives, but they thought Christ's return was going to be imminent. They thought He was coming back tomorrow, and then tomorrow, and then tomorrow. But as tomorrow began to turn into weeks, and weeks turned into years, and years turned into decades, their hope began to wane. And I don't think we're much different. We know academically that, that we're supposed to hope in Christ, but just like these early Christians, as weeks turn into months and months, years, we begin to, to loosen the robes of our minds. Not only do our hearts and minds become distracted from our primary calling, but we wander from the hope of Christ. We wander from the ability to do what Peter is going to call us to do in the rest of this letter. In other words, as we look to the world for hope, we get distracted. From our true holiness and, and we begin to pursue worldly things. As we look to the world for hope, we begin to think our purpose is then accomplished by the things of this world. That we succeed if we accomplish the things this world says. But just like the Bible tells us, everything this world has to offer is a mirage. Everything we hope in the world for turns to just more sand in our mouth when we get there. We must set our hope fully on Christ to live godly lives. So what is this action? What is this, this godly life that Peter is telling us to prepare for? He's going to tell us two things in verses 14 through 19. I want you to look at verses, let's start in verse 14, where first Peter tells us that we must set our hope fully on Christ to live holy lives. We must set our hope fully on Christ to live holy lives. Look at verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. How holy are you? How much of God's holiness does this world see in you? Professor and theologian uh, named Greg Beale wrote a book in 2008, I believe. It's a great book. I'd encourage everyone in here to read it. It's called, We, we Become What We Worship. We Become What We Worship is what it's titled. And in this book, he explains the idea that God created mankind 
for the sole purpose of worship. That's, that's the number one reason we exist is to worship. But that worship, he explains, isn't just a one-way street. Not only are we created to worship, but what we worship affects us because of, of the, the manner in which we were designed to worship. In other words, we cannot worship something or someone without it affecting us and changing us. The, because the primary form of worship that God has created us to perform is what? Imitation. He has created us to imitate what we worship as our form of worship. For example, Beale explains in his book that when God called Israel deaf and blind and mute, what God meant was that Israel was becoming what they were worshiping. Because they were worshiping metal and, and, and things made out of metal and, and out of wood, they were becoming deaf and blind and mute like the log or the piece of metal that they were worshiping. Now, we don't worship wood or metal, but that doesn't mean this doesn't apply to us. For example, here's what God is exposing to us now. God is showing the American church how much it worships America. Because God is exposing how much the American church is more American than it is Christian. In other words, because of the way God created us, the American church wants to imitate America because it's hoping in America. For example, God is exposing how much the American church has adopted don't tread on me as the 11th commandment. When the only thing that the Bible promises us from the world is that it will tread on us. That's what the Bible says. Don't expect anything more from the world but being tread on. And yet the American church is standing up indignant. Don't tread on me. And so here's where the American church is finding itself now. Now the American church is more concerned about personal freedom than it is about personal holiness. As our rights and our freedoms are being stripped away, God is exposing how the American church is far more concerned about constitutional amendments than she's ever been about evangelism or personal holiness. Listen, God is in the process of ripping the hope of America out of the hands of American Christians. Praise God. There is coming a time in the not-so-distant future when American Christians won't have America to hope in. And when that time comes, the question God is going to ask His people, His bride, is now that you no longer have America to hope in, do you still have the hope you need to live the godly life you have been called to? Or are you disappointed and angry? and looking for that American hope somewhere else. How does, how does your life answer that question right now? We must set our hope fully on Christ to live holy lives. Because listen, what Peter is reminding us is that when we hope in Christ, we will become more like Him. But not just because we have to. This is the most important thing you can ever understand about the gospel. 
When we hope in Christ, we will want to be more like Him because we will want to be more like Him. We will want to be more like Him. He replaces our heart that says, I don't want to have anything to do with Christ. So when we hope in Christ, He puts His heart inside of us that wants to be like Christ. When we hope in Christ, we can't help but worship Him. And when we worship Christ, we will want to imitate Him. We want to be more holy like Him. And then, as this culture descends further and further into darkness, the hope we need to to fulfill our calling of being holy, it remains steadfast. It remains secure in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can kill me and I will still have hope enough to live a holy life because you have nothing to do with my hope. Brothers and sisters, if we are to have a chance of living godly lives in an ever-darkening culture, the first thing Peter says is we must set our hope fully on Christ to live holy lives. Let's move to the second thing Peter says about a godly life. Look at verse 17. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. In 2002, a pastor named Paul Washer was speaking to about 5,000 youth who had gathered for an evangelism conference in Alabama. Many of you have probably seen this, heard this sermon. For about the first 10 minutes, Paul talked about his greatest fear being for the souls of people who thought they were saved just because they had said a prayer, even though their lives reflected nothing of what they had said they believed in. He spoke about what a heresy it is to believe that that just because you said a prayer, you were saved. And about 10 minutes into his sermon, he said very emotionally to this group of youth, he says, what you need to know is that salvation is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And faith alone in Jesus Christ is preceded and followed by repentance, a turning away from sin, a hatred for the things that God hates, and a love for the things that God loves a growing in holiness and a desire not to be like Britney Spears, not to be like the world and not to be like the great majority of American Christians, but to be like Christ. Now, as he said this, all 5,000 youth and however many hundred you know, uh, uh, adults were accompanying them, they erupted into this deafening praise. And Paul waited several seconds for this, this clapping and applauding to calm down. He said very quietly, he said, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. After which, this massive crowd listened in silence for the next 45 minutes or so of his sermon. How often does God frighten you? Because in a way, what Peter is saying in verses 17 through 19 is, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. First, Peter tells us that we must set our hope fully on Christ to live holy lives. 
And now in verses 17 through 19, he's going to tell us that we must set our hope fully on Christ to live reverent lives. To live reverent lives. I want you to look at the text with me so I can show you how Peter is saying that. Because I think Peter might have been hanging out with Paul a little bit too much or something. Because he decided to be really confusing in his Greek. Everything in this sentence orbits around Peter saying, Conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your exile. That means during your life. Conduct yourselves with fear during your life. But why would, why would we do that is what we should ask. If he says conduct yourself this way, the first question you should ask is why, which he explains very clearly in verses 18 and 19. He says conduct yourself with fear knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. But why would having been ransomed from our feudal ways by the precious blood of Christ be the reason to conduct ourselves with fear? I mean, I could understand if Peter said conduct yourself with thanksgiving or brotherly love or something like that because of the blood of Christ, but fear doesn't seem to fit, does it? Let me shuffle this sentence around a little bit so the weight of what Peter is saying can land on us. Look what Peter says if we move verse 17 to the end. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, I'm beginning in verse 18, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Did you see what Peter did? Peter is connecting the judgment of God with us knowing we were ransomed by the blood of Christ. He's saying, because God is judge, and because you know you were ransomed by the blood of Christ, conduct yourselves with fear during this life. In other words, because God is an impartial judge, we should be concerned about making a mockery of what Jesus did for us on the cross by returning to the way we thought and acted before we were ransomed by His blood. Let me say that differently. And I say this very, very deliberately. The Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, the God who called the universe into being with a breath, the God who caused the most righteous men who ever lived to tremble in fear, that God, the impartial, righteous judge of heaven hates. He hates. He hates when we mock Christ's sacrifice by then acting again like the world. Knowing what Christ did for us on the cross and letting it have no effect on our lives and then just returning to the way we acted on the world is thumbing our nose at Jesus on the cross and saying, yeah, a little more blood, Jesus, I, I want to do this. Think about what Peter just finished saying. He just finished telling us to live holy lives because God is holy. And now he's saying, Christian brothers and sisters, don't take lightly what I just said. 
If you call yourselves Christians, conduct yourselves with fear and reverence during this life because you have been called by a holy God to live holy lives worthy of the gift you have received by Christ's blood. Knowing that God is an impartial judge and knowing that He freely gave us the blood of Christ to ransom us from the futility of our life, that should cause us to conduct ourselves with fear during our time here on earth because how we act as Christians exposes what we think of what Christ did for us on the cross. We must set our hope fully on Christ to live reverent lives. To the youth in this room who call yourselves Christians, what does how you dress say to God what you think about what Christ did for you? What does how you act away from your parents say to God about what you think about what Christ did for you? What does how badly you want to be accepted and loved by this world say to God about what you think about what Christ did for you? You must set your hope fully on God to live reverent lives. To the men and women in this room who call yourselves Christians, what does how you treat your spouse say to God? what you think about Christ did for you. Parents, what does what you allow your kids to say or do or not say or not do say to God what you think about what Christ did for you? What does your consumption of alcohol or drugs say to God about what you think about what Christ did for you? What, do your, what does your behavior and your jokes and your language at work say to God about what you think Christ did for you? What does your sexual life say to God what you think about what Christ did for you? Christians, how often does Christ's blood have any bearing on how we act? Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your thoughts. The righteous God and judge of heaven has called us to live in a manner worthy of the gift we've been given in Christ. And that must cause us to live in reverence of who called us to that. We must set our hope fully on Christ to live holy lives, and we must also set our hope fully on Christ to live reverent lives. Now, here's the question that will determine whether or not you're tracking with Peter. Right now, are you thinking about yourself or Jesus? Are you thinking about your failure or Jesus' victory? Are you thinking about your weakness or Jesus' power? Now that you've been smacked around a little bit by the Holy Spirit, I want you to see what Peter has to end with. Look at verses 20 and 21. 
He says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Listen, we must set our hope fully on the power of Jesus Christ to live godly lives. Notice how Peter called us to reverence because of the blood of Christ. But where does he say our hope for that lies? Not in ourselves. He doesn't say set your hope fully on your ability to obey God. No, he calls us to reverence and holiness because of the blood of Christ. And then he calls us to hope. He says, set your hope fully on Christ because in him and the power of his resurrection do we have the ability to do what Peter is calling us to do. We live holy, reverent lives because of his blood and our hope is set fully in the power of his resurrection to live that life. It's the same thing that Paul said to the Ephesians when he was praying for them in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, I pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what is that hope? He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? Paul prayed that that God would open our eyes to the power that God is working in us because it's the same power that he worked in Christ to raise him from the dead. That's the power we hope in to accomplish what Peter has just said we're called to. Brothers and sisters, we must set our hope fully on Christ to live a godly life because the power that God worked in raising him from the dead is the same power at work in you to live the godly life he's called you to live. Look what he said in verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you. Peter is saying that God knew before the beginning of time that we would need a power like that. You weren't even born before God knew you needed some amazing help. Before the foundations of the world, God knew that we would need resurrection power to have any hope of accomplishing a holy life. And so what did He do? He gave it to us freely. He said, I love you so much that I want you to live this life, and here's the power to do it. My spirit will indwell you. If you just believe in Jesus Christ, I will give you my spirit. And you will have the power to do what I'm calling you to do. Not because of your own strength. So that verse 21, so that your faith and hope are in God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, set your hope fully on Christ. Set your hope fully on His resurrection to live the godly life that you have been called to live. 
Because it is in Christ alone and in His resurrection that we will find the power to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard to fathom the the size of the gift that you have given us. You call us to live a life worthy of of the savior you, savior you gave to save us and then and then through him you also give us the power to do it. Father, I pray that you would convict us of our desire to look elsewhere for hope. And I pray, though, that you would do this not not because we need to feel bad about ourselves, but I pray that in light of Christ, you would show us how worthless the hope is we're looking toward. That we would see the, the glory and the beauty and the power of Christ, and we would want to drop the hope that we're searching for in this world in order to hope in Him. Father, You tell us that this is only possible in Your Word, and so as You have been faithful in Your promises to now, we call on Your promise for the power to live the the life that You have called us to live. Father, we praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ for what you have called us to and how you have enabled us to fulfill that calling. And so it is every bit in his name that we pray. Amen.